You can be a man of courage, of honor, of integrity. You can be the father, the husband, the leader that your family and your community needs. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. Today's guest is Jim Ramos. You may be familiar with him from his work at the Men in the Arena podcast and his best-selling book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. Ramos teaches men to honor God in their leadership, in their families, in other areas. And he's got a very interesting perspective, and I can't wait until you can check out this interview with him. Listen, if you like the work that we're doing here on the Manlyhood Mancast, I want you to go to manlyhood.com store and get a t-shirt, get a book. We want to be able to bless you with something that can help you look cool, can help educate your mind. So please, participate in what we're doing. Also, men, if you want to level up as a man, go to the Manlyhood Man Cave on Facebook and you can connect with other men who want to see you succeed. That being said, let's get right into our interview with Jim. Jim, it's great to have you on the show. I've been following the work that you do with uh, your podcast and your book and it's fantastic stuff. And I'm really glad to be able to have you here on the Manlyhood Mancast, man. Hey man, I'm excited to be here and just to get to know your audience and get to know you and to help out in any way I can. Awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What, it, uh, what do you do? What's your journey like? What does it mean to you to be able to, to do the work you do? You know, let's, let's give our, our, our audience a little background on you. Yeah, I would just say my life was totally disrupted uh, right around college. I had a college football injury, went in for surgery, uh, basically was overdosed by the anesthesiologist, had a near-death deal, I was blind for three days. And uh, in that situation, God spoke to me for the first time, called me into ministry. I wasn't involved in a church or serving God at all. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that was a, an altering type of moment. So switched my major, and that led me down the path of ministry. My life has been a life of mission and purpose and ministry for the last 30-plus years. Uh, and I was just thinking about this this morning. It was totally disruptive. You know, it kind of wrecked my life, uh, so to speak, because it just took me down a different path. And I'm really excited about that path. In fact, uh, I'm getting ready to call a buddy of mine I played high school football with. He was the linebacker next to me. We haven't spoken to each other in 37 years. And I just, it's going to be fun to share with him how disruptive Christ was in my life. You know, it just wasn't the plan, but it's, it's his plan and he knows it. And it was awesome. So here we are today. Uh, we went from youth ministry to a radical call to work with men. We've been working with men over a decade now, and it's a great journey and God has really blessed it. That's awesome. I found uh, working with men. I used to be a youth leader as well. Oh yeah. And I found working with men really isn't that much different. It's just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they're a lot more stubborn than the teenagers. Yeah. But I'll tell you what. What I've learned with men, and this is something I'll, I'll teenagers. You're 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 looking working for fruit that you'll bear down the road. But when a when a man gets it, he gets it. And when a man gets it everyone wins. And so if you can get that stubborn dude, that jackass who won't listen to anybody else, if you can get that guy to listen and that guy to make a decision, 
everything is going to be different in his world and everybody around him is going to be changed because he is the catalyst that God has chosen. So I'm a big fan of working with men, even though they can be, uh, we can be uh, teenagerish sometimes, you know what I mean? Well, I think that's something that, you know, we, we like to kind of dismiss and think that it's, it's not important, but the truth is we like doing fun stuff and we like being goofy and we like laughing and telling jokes. And I think a lot of times we uh, just expect grownups to act serious all the time. And oh man, my, my dad always said, you know, you, you got to grow old, but you don't have to grow up. <laughs> no. I, well, you know, I think smack talking is the love language of dudes. And I'd also say this, I'd also say, I was just reading this in the, uh, this morning, I'm reading a, a book uh, by John Eldridge called wild at heart for about the fifth time. And uh, in that book, it talks about how, how God made Adam and then placed him in the garden. And men have been trying to get in the wilderness ever since. I think there's a part of men that we don't want to apologize for, but that part of man is we have a desire to go wild, to go insane, to get out there and go for it, where women tend to want to build the nest and be secure. Security is a kiss of death for a man. He wants to take risks. He wants to be wild. But we happen to live in a culture that has tamed a man. He's domesticated. We've domesticated men. We've neutered men. And, and so men have this desire deep within them to have this adventure and this risk. But, but we have a society that says, no, 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 that's we don't like that. And so I think there is something deep inside of every man that that when they discover who they are, it's released and this world is able to feel the full weight and the full impact of who they are. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I know that, you know, where I live in the middle of the woods, basically, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting in an office where I work and I'm looking out the window and I see this mountain and I know that there's all kinds of deer trails and there's all kinds of rocks and places to climb and hang out. And I'm like sitting here thinking, I sure would like to get up there right now. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm staring at the biggest buck of my life that I killed in last October. And uh, it's going to be the ch opening chapter of my book I'm writing in about a week here. And I'm just going, man, that was the toughest day of my life and the best, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's, that's what we're made for. We're made to this buck right here. I name all my bucks. That's the perseverance buck. I took, the, I hunted that buck 11 out of 12 days before I finally killed him in like 20 degree weather. And uh, man, it, you know, it's worth it. That's what we're about. We love the stories. We love the pain. We love to embrace the suck and share the suck with our friends. In fact, uh, I was hunting in the wilderness, my middle son Darby several years ago. He had the flu real bad. We backpacked into uh, about six miles into the wilderness. We, were at, we had climbed over 3,500 feet elevation. That's a lot. And uh, we got caught in a snowstorm and we're in the tent trying to survive. You know, it's freezing. And he said, Dad, tell me your stories of hunting. And I told him my best stories. He goes, none of them sounded fun. And I go, well, that's that's the beauty of it all. And we got back after that trip and we didn't kill a deer. It got it was pretty bad. But but the, we still talk about that story of how horrible it was and how wonderful it was at the same time. And that's what as men, we like to share those stories. They bond us together. Yeah. And, you know. I, I talk a lot about the fact that, you know, manhood looks different from one man to another. And I, I, yeah. I read a little bit about that in your book too. You know, I, you know, if you look at Mr. Rogers on one hand and Mr. T on the other, I mean, these two men couldn't be more different, yeah. but at the same time, they're both manly, you know? And so, you know, like there might be guys listening to like, well, I don't want to, I don't like hunting and I don't like the woods. That's okay. Like, <laughs> you know, we, we all have, something about us in us that loves the wild, that loves the wilderness in some way, you know, that, and if not, you'll probably find 
that you're lacking fulfillment in your life. At least that's kind of my impression. I think that they want it, but don't necessarily have the tools to experience it or appreciate. Yeah. I think we're all called back into that adventure and it does look different from ever for every man. Every man is different. They all come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, They dive, drive different cars. They vote for different people. They, they have different uh, places where they live and and, uh, homes they live in. But at the end of the day, they are the same and they're wired the same. And there is something that that guy who may not like the wild, he may be a radical risk taker with uh, his uh, his career or he may have adventure built within him and how he passionately uh, loves his children. You know, it, it just changes for every man. You just can't yeah. you just can't put a. A, a tag on it or a label. It isn't fair for the man. It isn't fair for God who made every man different and totally unique. And so we've got to be really careful. Uh, you know, like you look at, you, you know, you look at a, a Navy SEAL, for example. I mean, they're probably the baddest, toughest, gnarliest guys on the planet, but you know, 90% of them get divorced. So yeah, in this area, they're the most manly guy on the planet over here though. They're the biggest wimps in the world. And so we've got to be careful, not compartmentalizing men as this prototype because it's not fair because we may fail in other areas. And so we've got to be really careful. You know, masculinity is, is a, is holistic. It's about the whole man. It's about putting all of these essentials or these components that make up a man together. And then that man lives those out with boldness and passion. And the the world feels his full weight or his full capacity as he lives those out unapologetically. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think a lot about, um, you know, what, what, what unites all of us is the purpose and the principle, I think, and the specifics can, can vary. You know, I think, I think we all have those same purposes and principles with little variations in how it looks for each of us, you know? Well, yeah. And men are driven by mission. If you think about your relationships, if you think about women are driven by the power of relationships, they can have a relationship just because they're in the same room together. Men are not like that. Men need to have a purpose or a mission to rally behind. We rally behind, like I've got guys who I bought mountain bike with. And, and when I'm biking with those guys, I'm tight with those guys. When I stop biking, I lose that relationship. Or uh, I'm thinking of a guy I coached with 10 years ago. I hardly ever see him anymore because there's nothing to push us together. And there's nothing wrong with our relationship, but we aren't driven by that mission anymore. You look at guys in battle, you know, the man who bleeds with me today is my brother, you know? And so this, this mission bonds us and and men are wired for that. And so a man who doesn't have a mission or a purpose has no other man to rally behind him. And he tends to be isolated and alone. And it's really a tragedy. We are called to join forces and lock arms other men in a something that we deeply care about. So looking at your book, you talk about dangerous times. Yes. What, what do you mean by that? What, what are the dangerous times that you talk about? Yeah, you know, I, I wanted the title to be a little bit provocative. The original title of the book was called The Man Card. And it just, it, it wasn't provocative. It didn't have a punch behind it. And I, I think that we have been in dangerous times for the, at least the last hundred years. It has been a dangerous time in history to be a man, because I believe that manhood has been vilified. We call it toxic masculinity. But if you look at masculinity in the dictionary, it's the antithesis of toxic. And so what I realized was that men have been vilified in the media and in politics and in, co- in college 
education, you know, in, in the colleges, universities around America have been vilified. And to some degree, it's their fault because men are part of most of the world's problems. Usually there's a man behind it. Conversely, if a man is behind most of the world's problems, then men are also the solution. A friend of mine, Wes Stafford, who was a Compassion International president for years, said that when a man gets it, when men change, you will change 80% of the world's problems. And so the solution to our problems lies in, in manhood. But we have a world that is trying to fix sex trafficking and pornography and, and divorce. But really what we need to fix is we need to fix the man. And churches need to fix the man. If you look at church budgets, less than 1% goes to men. It goes to all these other programs. But if you fix the man, you fix the problem. If a man gets it, everyone wins. And so we have to get back to the roots of this thing and say, what's the problem? So we're in dangerous times because men are under attack. And, and real men, godly men, strong men who are changing the world are part are put in that subcategory you know, of toxic. And it's just... It's just not a fair statement to those guys. And so what we wanted to do in the book, Josh, is we wanted to say, okay, we're living in dangerous times. And, and, and for some degree, men have caused that. But a man, a strong man, is different than his counterpart, male or weak man. The weak man or male is not the same as a strong man, even though they may be the same age. You know, it's like... We were talking about hunting earlier. I'm looking at this big buck on the, the wall here. Well, he was with a little buck, a little teeny buck. It's just a little buck. Now, in the hunting world, that little buck and that big monster trophy buck are a totally different species altogether, even though they may be in the same gene pool. <laughs> and so that's what we're talking in this book, that a, a man and a male are different. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a... Uh, shift that we need to think about and understand. I, I think you know, I, I worked in journalism for a long time and I'd write a story and there'd always be, you always kind of mention their gender, you know, when you write the story. So, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Port Allegheny man was arrested for such and such, you know, and, and I always struggled with that because, you know, wait, this man is being convicted of raping a child. That's not, um, what a man does, that's a, we should say a male, you know, I, I, I always struggled with that definition that we, uh, we, I think, I think manhood has a lot more to do with character than it does age and gender. You know, I think, I think that's Absol a big part of it. Well, absolutely. I mean, I was in a coffee shop the other day and the, the guy, clearly a man, long hair, but clearly a man had a, a little button on, on his shirt that said, they, them, and theirs. In other words, I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. I'm non-binary. So address me as that. And I'm like, never, that will never happen in my, I will never <laughs> do that because that is not how we're, we're a man. We're a male. We're a female or a girl. I mean, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, um, but we have to draw the distinction if, if between a man and a male, for sure. Yeah. I also, I mean, that particular pronoun is just bad grammar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, what, what are you a schizophrenic? I mean, are you yeah, are possessed there, by are demons? Multiples? Are you le <laughs> even Legion only called himself by one name? <laughs> right, right, so. right. And, and at the same time, you know, my own personal perspective on that, you know, like 
I have, I actually have some friends who are, are would identify as the opposite gender of what they were born as. And one of them, you wouldn't even know if you ran into this person into the street, you would have no idea. You wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, and I have no problem calling this person. He now, you know, she was a, she, and now I have no problem. It doesn't, it's no skin off my back, but I also know that it's not a man. (laughs) Well, and I would just, and I would argue that, you know, you know, God, it's pretty easy to tell how God made us. And, um, but we do live in a fallen world where uh, people, you know, uh, you know, little boys or girls are, are maybe born mentally retarded or born with some terminal illness or born with certain conditions. And, uh, you know, uh, some people, for whatever reason, have a predisposition to one thing or the other. I, I just can't explain it all, but I do know that God doesn't make junk mm-hmm. and that God was very clear when he made a male what a male was looked like biologically and a female. And so, uh, but there is some gray area there as far as the fallenness of our creation and the world we live in. There is, you know, I I can't discount the fallen creation because we see it all around us. And so, and we also have a world that um, is neck deep in sin. And, uh, you know, you know, because of sin, we make choices that hurt other people. Uh, We make choices that hurt ourselves. And so, which is part of the book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. You know, a man course corrects when he falls or sins. He course corrects and continues down the path and lives his life within certain guardrails or boundaries where a male does not do that. He tends to just keep going off course. He follows his feelings to destruction. And so that's something we really want to be clear about in the book, that male and men are different. They think different. They act different. They do things different. You know, look at King David. You know, I, I still scratch my head and I, I hear him addressed as the man after God's heart. By our standards, he would have been a, a loser. You know, he's a felon. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. You know, he he had a kid that tried to kill him. He just has a problem. But but the thing about David that made him manly was he course corrected better than anybody in the biblical in biblical history. Continued to rebound from his mistakes and learn and grow and and uh, and repent. And so I think that's really important for the masculine soul to realize that we need to repent and course correct. Yeah. I think a lot of times we have this, when we talk about character and we say how character helps you, you know, is part of you being a good man. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Yeah. And I think we should strive for it. We should fight for it and do our best to be the best version of who we can be. And, you know, when we get off course, that's really where character comes in. You know, when I, when I act contrary to my character, can I make that right? Can I be humble? Can I be corrected? Can I adjust? Can I change? And, you know, I mean, as a Christian, I, I think that I can't do that on my own. So I believe that it takes supernatural help to, to make that change. But at the same time, I, I do think that it's important for us to keep that in mind that like, dude, I'm going to screw up every day, you know, and, and it's not about being perfect or, Hey, everybody, let's pay attention to what Jim Ramos is doing at Men in the Arena or Josh is yeah. doing at Manhood. Let's follow them because they're such shiny. No, we're screw ups, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the problem with social media is you, it, it forces you into a role that you are not. And we've, we're trying really hard at our organization to not do that, but to have a team concept. 
And yeah. uh, I think that's really important. So we don't get locked into some fake image of who we are, because, you know, when we talk about character in my book, I lay, lay out five essentials for manhood. Essentially we define what manhood is, what strong manhood is. And the first of those is, is protecting integrity. So we put the ING that p- present progressive tense of the verb on there because it's a daily thing. We have to do it every day, but integrity, you mentioned character in the book. I designate between character and integrity character by definition is the complex of the complex, excuse me, of traits that make up a man. So it's a pluralistic look view of things. So I have honor, fidelity, health, you know, uh, growth, what, you know, work ethic, all these things. And one of those components of my character is, you know, Philippians 1, 6, you know, that I'm confident this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So there's a constant battle to grow. All of these characteristics functioning fully create a man of integrity. Integrity by definition is being whole or complete. So as I function in these many character traits that make up who I am, as I grow and become a whole man, those be, are solidly formed as my as my integrity. And I believe integrity is the foundation for manhood. It is foundational. Uh, and I, the thing when we develop these five essentials, we wanted to transcend religion. We want to transcend demographic history, all these things. And so it, I, it doesn't matter what you believe. I mean, I, I talk to men across the world and, you know, it doesn't matter what we believe. If you lack integrity as a man, it's over. You will not be respected. And what I have found, and I, it's almost embarrassing to say this, women really don't care about integrity the way guys do. Hmm. They'll talk it out. They'll just work it through it. But they just don't care about that as much. But a man, you know, I believe the greatest gift you can give a man is respect. I don't care if my wife loves me, but if she doesn't respect me, I'm going to be broken over that. And she won't respect a man she, that does not have integrity. And the men in my life who I believe don't respect me anymore are men in my life who at some point I had a breach of integrity with those guys. And it takes years to repair because integrity is foundational to anything a man sets up, sets out to be. And it's also, it's also functional, right? We have to function in it because if you look at, you know, the Bible constantly talks about being upright in integrity. And when we're not walking in integrity, we're not upright. A great analogy of this is Adam in the garden. Here's Adam of this prototypical male, you know, right? He's upright. He's naked. The Bible says he's naked and not ashamed. And the first thing he does when this, when this, when sin enters the world is he sows fig leaves and he hunches over and he's covering up his package, right? It's a picture <laughs> right. of, it's a picture of the ultimate man covering up his junk in front of his wife. Don't look at my penis. And, and what's, <laughs> what this is, it's a picture of a man who's lost his integrity. He's no longer able to stand upright. Do you know, Josh, we're the only animal in the creation of the world that walks upright with our reproductive organs exposed? We're the only one, but when shame enters, we bend over and we have, when we lose integrity, we lose that uprightness before the Lord. And so integrity is massively important. It's foundational. We call it the trailhead of manhood. It's where the trail starts. It's where the rubber meets the road. Side note, right? You're talking about, <laughs> you're talking about Adam in the garden and these, he's uh, 
covered himself up. So my daughter's away at camp this week. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, it's just me and my wife at home now. You know, my naked, other kids are all room. grown. Naked so room. I'm just like walking around in my underwear and I'm like, oh, she's like, what is this? What we have to look forward to, you know, she's like, what if somebody comes to the door? Like, why should somebody come to the door? That's why we have a doorbell, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. It's Terry Bradshaw, man. Terry Bradshaw. What was that movie failure to launch Terry Bradshaw in that movie? Right, right, right. I think right. that was he had a naked he's walking around in the naked, <laughs> naked room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For all you Pittsburgh oh. Steeler fans listening. <laughs> yep. Yep. Definitely. Terry Bradshaw's a neat guy. Um, I saw him on, uh, my wife and I like the masked singer, which is the most absolutely ridiculous show yeah. on TV. Yeah. And he was on there and he couldn't sing, but he did definitely have a cool costume. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> Terry Bradshaw, go big or go home, baby. <laughs> uh, so uh, one of the things I see in the book too, and I know that this is something that you have on your podcast as well, this concept of man laws. And uh, yeah. they always, always give me a little <laughs> chuckle, but w- w- tell me about the man laws. Oh man. I met with a guy yesterday and, and we had a meeting. He's going to ghost write a book with me. And uh, when we were done with the meeting, we were walking back downstairs from my office and, and we both had to go to the bathroom. So we went into the bathroom, there's three urinals and a toilet. And we went in, I go, dude, take one of the urinals. I'm going to the toilet. <laughs> I just, I'm not going to put that. That's a, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's, you know, in the urinal right next to you. You know, that's a man law violation. And so we go through some man laws in the book and, and they're fun. And they, you know, we crack up over them and then we joke and tease each other about them. You know, give me your man card. But, but really it's, it speaks to a, a I think a greater problem. And that is that man, men are confused. We're confused about who we are. We're confused about what to do. We're confused about a, a per, our purpose. We're confused about churches who neglect us. We're confused about a world that rejects us. But if you look on the news, whenever there's a storm or a, a tornado or a hurricane or a flood, it, all you see are men. When you look at the Titanic, you know, 1,500 passengers and of the like, you know, 1,100 that died, almost every one of them was a man. Why? Because when push comes to shove, Men go down with a ship and, and, and this, this is, and so, but, but we live in a world nowadays with the, the industrial revolution in the 1900s and then with uh, the Victorian age in the late 1800s, and then with uh, you know, the feminist movement in the sixties. Now with all this garbage going on right now, men are just confused. They are, uh, there is a fear of being a man. And the hard part is when you go to churches, they, the best way to be a man in the church is to be a woman. In fact, I, I got to tell you, I was at church Sunday on Father's Day, and one of the women got up to announce a women's tea at our church, and she actually said uh, something like, uh, the best way to be a man is to be a woman or something like that. And I almost, my jaw dropped in our church, in my church. <laughs> I was just, I could not believe it. So uh, men are vilified in churches, and, you know, we, we highlight the effeminate traits of Jesus Although he's the ultimate alpha and omega man, he says in the Bible, I'm the alpha and the omega. And so I think men, you know, it's under attack. And so we just need to stand up and be who we are and and walk in that. Yeah, it's funny because I don't think that we are just by acknowledging that we're not trying to play the victim. We're not trying to say, nope, you know, hey, we're under attack. How dare you? And we need a safe space. You know, it, it's we're not talking about that. You know, but I do, I think that the answer to it is for us to just step into who we are. The answer is to just step into that masculinity um, and actually demonstrate what it is. Because 
whether or not the world recognizes us, that's what we're going to do. You know, Hey, you know what? All that matters is that your world recognizes you, your kids, your coworkers, your church. And this is, you know, the, the second of the five essentials in my book is fighting apathy. So if the, if protecting integrity is a trailhead, fighting apathy is climbing the mountain. It's the climb. It's the, it's the part where your weight is pushing against gravity. It's the part where your shoes and socks are grinding against each other, trying to get to the hill. It's the part where your, your backpack is rubbing into your hips as you, as you, you hump about 90 pounds of weight up the mountain, you know, the, the battle for integrity, the fight or the fight for apathy against apathy, I believe is the greatest battle a man will ever fight. It's saying, I don't care what you're saying about me. I don't care how we're vilified. I'm going to step into my role as a man. I'm going to out love. I'm going to outserve my wife. I'm going to be known in my church. I'm going to get out of the anonymous bleachers and get into the arena. I am going to father my children well. I mean, Father's Day was just two days ago, and I had a wonderful Father's Day. My kids took me shooting 3D archery. We made an axis deer, uh, slow-cooked axis deer shanks and um, abad, abadoba, I can never say that word, sauce. And the kids gave me some beautiful cards and wrote wonderful things on them. But I'm thinking how many men out there receive none of that because they've chosen the pathood of male They've chosen the pathway of an anonymity. They've chosen to not fight against the things they, they should deeply, deeply care about. All apathy is, by de- definition, is the inability to feel. So if I take this, oh, sorry about that. If I take this knife, I can, I just broke my mic. If I take this knife, I can literally, I can literally cut the calluses off my hand and I won't feel a thing. I can cut these because there's no nerve endings here. I have the inability to feel. And a man who refuses to fight apathy eventually stops caring for the things he should care deeply about. His wife, his kids, his church, his community, his health, his marriage. You know, these are things that are vitally, vitally important. And when a man stops feeling for these things, Everyone around him loses. Reminds me of a quote from Bono from you too. He says, we need to rebel against our own indifference. Absolutely. Well, indifference and apathy are, you know, it's like the teacher, the high school teacher who was teaching English said, Hey, what's the difference between, you know, uh, indifference and apathy. And some kid goes, I don't know. And I don't care, you know, type of thing. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about. And so yeah. we just, we have to rebel against that. We have to fight against that. Jack Hayford said this, he said, Make decisions against yourself. And that's Mm. what apathy does. You know, I know that I've got a hit workout today at four o'clock and I do not want to do it. It's going to be hard. I'll be sucking air. But just like my spin class last night, I'm going to go do it anyway because I need to make decisions against myself so that I can live as a full capacity man in my best version. And so that's why I do the things I do because I want to walk as my best version. And to do that, I've got to climb this mountain. I've got to ascend this hill of apathy and fight against it the entire way. If I think about the times in my life when I'm at my best versus the times that I'm at my worst, uh, when I'm at my worst, I just don't care. I'm real passive. I avoid. And I think that's honestly, yeah, you're right on with that, man. 
Well, I'm the same way. I'm staring at a trap. I have a trap, like a, a, a fur trap, like a fur bear's trap in my office. And it reminds me that fear is a trap. When I wake up in the morning, my to-do list is way, way bigger than what I can accomplish. And I ha- I'm my own boss. And so the temptation is to shrink back into isolation, which would be take a nap, sit on the couch, eat foods I shouldn't eat. But Hebrews 10.39 says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who through faith are saved. And so I want to embrace the day and I want to live with abandon. You know, yesterday was the longest day of the year. And I was up at five and went to bed at 11. And I, I felt like I lived every minute of that day. And we're only given, this is scary, Josh. I'm doing a funeral a memorial on Saturday. Do you know if a person lives to 100 that man or woman only lives 36,500 days. It's, you know, that's not a lot of days to live. And I don't want to waste one of them by sitting passively on the couch, eating Doritos and, and playing video games. Yeah. Boom. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be that guy. And so, you know, this goal, I had a goal, uh, this year to bench press 225 20 times I did it and so now my goal by the end of the year is to pull do 20 pull-ups I'm a 250 pound man that's a lot of pull-ups for a guy my weight at 55 years old and so I just want to fight that stuff I want to keep fighting and pressing into that because I want to be my best because someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account for that I think that's something that we we forget you know and I know that not all of our listeners know God or know him like we know him. And so, you know, I don't want to shove it down anybody's throat, but let's just ask that question, you know, like what happens if you have to face God and you have to answer, you know? And I I think a lot of times people will be apathetic about that question, you know? Well, and you know what else, Josh, you know, I, I I have a real simple theology, if you want to call it that. And I, most guys listening would at least acknowledge God exists. I mean, most guys out there would say, yeah, I think there's a God. There's something out there. Yeah. And so my question to those guys is, if, if you believe there's a God out there, well, then he had to have made you. That's the next logical, st- you know, he had to have made you. And so if God, if there is a God and if God actually made you, I've never heard of anything that has created something else, whether it be a wood box or a, a bamboo a fly rod or uh, putting together your own AR-15 or building a car or whatever it is. I've never met a guy who built something who hated it. When a guy builds something, he builds it with care and he loves it. So if if we believe there's a God and we believe he made us, then we have to believe he cares about us because he uniquely crafted us. Well, if he cares about us, it makes sense that you never, a guy, no man listening to this who's ever created anything realizes that he created that thing for no purpose. Everything created has a purpose and every creator creates something for a purpose. So if that, if there is a God and if he made me and if he cares about me and if he made me for a purpose, then the next question is how can I ever be the man that God has called me to be without radical devotion to the creator who made me for that purpose? And for me, that's how, how I came to Christ. I was like, I'll never be the man I'm called to be unless I radically give my life to the one who made me so I can understand who I was made to be in the first place. I don't have to guess. I don't have to be a hollow man. I don't have to be an eggshell of a man. 
I had a, a dear friend of mine say, well, I'm afraid to give my life to Jesus because I'm afraid that he'll make me less of a man. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You will never be more of a man. In fact, the third point of our manhood journey up the mountain of manhood, that third essential is pursuing God passionately. Because I believe that the apex of manhood, the climax, the summit, is when a man says, I'm done with my own program, God. I want you to use me for how I've been made. And I'm going to give my life to you. And to me, it's not some weird thing. It's just a very normal thing that, that God has created deep within us already. I love it. And, Simple uh, stuff, man. Yeah, I agree. And if any of you guys are listening and have questions about it, you can feel free to reach out to either of us and we'll be totally. glad to share our perspective on that further. So for sure. Um, so the last question that I like to ask in every podcast interview is if you can give me your best advice for the men listening. And I know it may, may be some repetition of things you've already talked about and that's okay, but what is your best advice for the men yeah, listening? I'm going I'm to go with some new advice. So uh, I was on the island of the night. I took uh, my, my right-hand guy who works me, Dale Culver. I took my son, uh, Darby. We went to Axis deer hunting. Dale didn't hunt, but Darby and I went hunting. Then my wife showed up after that to have a little mini vacation. We were at the beach and um, I saw a barracuda in the water. And we love to scuba and snorkel. So I saw this barracuda. So I'm like, I'm going in. So I went in after it to look at it because they're just awesome under the water. And so I'm looking for this barracuda and these two girls are out there, you know, 30 year old gals. Well, I come out of, and, and their husbands are on the beach. Well, I come out of the water. My wife is talking to one of the husbands. Well, it turns out he's a hunter. So we started hunting or talking about hunting. And I said, hey, man, I've got a, I've got a bunch of axes here we've shot. Do you want some meat? He said, yeah, we've got to be on the ferry in about an hour. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got these two couples in my car. I drove them up to my buddy's house. I got them a, a couple packages of axis deer. And as we're driving home, I, I you know, they're religious people as well. And uh, they're church attenders, not at a church I would ever attend or think it was, you know, a Christian church, but they're, they're religious. And as I pulled down the road, we're talking about what I do for a living. And we're just shooting the breeze about the new book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. And I'm telling them about the book. And as I'm pulling up to the ferry to get them, to, uh, they're, they're on Lanai and we're getting, they need to go to the island of Maui. The, one of the wives says to me, she says, give me one piece of advice for my husband. What's, give, me, give, give us one piece. No, she said, give me one piece of advice for my family. And here's what I said to her. And here's what I'll say to every man. I said to her, you make sure your husband gets it. <laughs> because if he gets it, Everyone wins. If he doesn't, everyone in your family loses. So you be relentless in calling your man out, calling him up and calling him in so that he becomes his best version. Because until he does, nothing will be better. But when he does, everything will change. And so if I would give a man any piece of advice today, I would say this. Invest in yourself in becoming your best version, because when you take those opportunities to grow and become your best version, everyone around you will win. So my greatest advice for guys is invest. I'm not saying invest in your bass boat. I'm not saying investing in your video games console or console or whatever you call those things. I'm saying investing in your personal growth so that you can be the best version of yourself for those who love you and care about you and depend on you. Because when you are that guy, when you get it, everyone wins. Awesome. I think that's fantastic advice. And you know what? That costs too. 
You know, that doesn't, it does cost. It, it, it might cost a little money to buy a book. It might cost a, some money to go to a seminar or to go to counseling and work through some issues that you've got, you know, but it's, it is, it's an investment and it pays off, you know? Well, I'll share this and I'll share, I'm pretty vulnerable about my life and I'm an open book. My wife and I have been married almost 30 years and every 10 years of marriage, we go to marriage counseling. So we're at, we're at our 30 year mark. So we just took a test of preparing rich and we just went through the test. You know, she took hers. I took mine. I beat her. I was at hundred percent when she was at 88%. So I made sure I win. But, <laughs> and she said, right. well, it's cause you cheated, but you know, was, but was we're that- going <laughs> was that why you had to go to marriage counseling again? I'm yeah, just- that's probably that's probably part of it. That's probably part of it. Anyway, but but we just decide every ten years of our marriage, we're going to go to marriage counseling because we think that strong couples do that. It's a part of growth because we're committed to growth, and I'm committed to leading my wife into her best version because when she dies, I want her. She'll probably die before me. She's a lot. She's she'll probably die before me. But when she dies, I want her to tell those around her, nobody could have loved me better than Jim because Jim got it. And and that's my hope for every guy listening that when your wife dies, no, well, your wife would say nobody can love her better than you. And your kids will say of you, nobody could be a better father to me than my kids. And your church will say of you, nobody can serve in this church like Joe or Josh or Jim or Mike. Yeah, I think about that a lot. My dad passed away a couple of years ago. And when he left, he left a hole, like a crater, you know, because um, he made an impact on everybody's life around him. And I I look, I I think about that constantly. You know, I can't go anywhere without somebody saying, man, I sure do miss your dad, you know? And, and that is, it, 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 while it sucked to lose him. And I think about it all the time, you know, still, but like, it is a, uh, driving force in my life to be the kind of guy that leaves a hole. You know, if, if I just died tomorrow, would anybody feel it? (laughs) You know, would it matter? Well, and I, I believe, I believe one of the greatest sins in the church for men is the sin of anonymity, man. If, if you're, God wants to put you on display, he wants to put you on a platform so that you can put him on display. And so, man, I would just tell guys, don't shrink back from who you are. Let God put you on the platform. I mean, I, I, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your dad, Josh, but, but I'm so jealous as are millions of men to have a father like you have in your life that leaves an actual hole instead of having a hole during your life that you had to fill in because there was no man there to fill it in. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what, I'll tell you, that's something my dad told me all the time. I remember, you know, there was some boys who were misbehaving, you know, we owned the property with a swimming hole in the back, you know, mm-hmm. these boys would come and go swimming. And, uh, they, they were, I think they were stealing vegetables from our garden. And I remember my dad, like, and they were mean to me in school too. And I remember my dad, like, actually like, investing in them, taking some time Mm. with them. And I was mad at him. And I remember him telling me, not everybody has a dad like you, like Mm. you have, you know? And so I've always kind of tried to remember that, you know, that I had a tremendous blessing and I need to be that kind of blessing as well. So, you know, um, and you talked about that, that idea, the sin of anonymity, it doesn't mean you, you do it for the credit. 
you know, there's no. definitely a balance there, right. To keep humble about it, you know, but don't be afraid to step up and do what you're supposed to do. You know? Well, it goes That's back good. to, it goes back to my deep, simple theology is that if, if there is a God and if he cares about me and if he made me and if he has a purpose for me and I embrace my, I embrace and invest my entire life in becoming that best version because I've surrendered to him, then it makes sense that once I've accomplished all of those things, I need to put him on display and not myself because I didn't make me. The Bible says the, the, the thing molded can't say to the potter, I don't like how you made me. You know, we just, you know, Luke 17, 10 says, when you've done everything you've been called to do, just say, we were unworthy servants. We only did our job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about. Just being the man that you've been called to be and then giving credit where credit is due. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me of a guy in my church. His name's Alex. And I'm sure he's listening, so he'll appreciate this. But actually, he might not. He might be really mad that I'm calling him out. He um, started as a, like a part-time employee at the church and um, just kind of doing little things here and there and ended up like carving out this space for himself. And he's the he's very quiet. He's very underspoken, shy, almost awkwardly shy, you know? Like if, if you were in a room, you would never point out and say, there's a great, amazing man because he's small and he's quiet and he's shy. But that man has done amazing things in the life of our church. And everybody in our church knows him and loves him because he's gone out of his way to make things better. You know, I mean, he's, he's phenomenal. Like exactly what you would say. He, he lives up to what he's supposed to be. And he actually is probably one of the most important leaders in our church because he develops teams and he teaches people and he Mm. puts things together. And I I just look at this guy and I'm like, that is a perfect example of what you're talking about. You know, don't be afraid of, and and it's great because he doesn't get, he probably doesn't even get the credit he deserves and he's okay with that. You know, he just does what he's supposed to do and it has transformed people's lives. And I love it. It makes me excited. Well, it sounds like you didn't call him out. You called him up. So yeah. Thank you, Alex, (laughs) for being that guy. And we come in all shapes and sizes and uh, I can't be you, Josh. You can't be me. I'm just going to be the best version of me that I possibly can. And if we're all doing that, we're going to change our world one family at a time, one church at a time. Jim, I really appreciate you being on uh, the Manlyhood Mancast today. Why don't you tell our listeners if they want to follow along with you, get in touch with you, see the stuff you're doing, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah, I would say uh, they can hit us up on Instagram. It's just the men in the arena. On Instagram, we have a, a men in the arena forum with almost 11,000 men from 100 countries on Facebook, and that's men in the arena. And our men in the arena podcast, we had 122 nations represented in our downloads last year. And so we're all about helping guys become their best versions. They can hit me up there. Uh, if they want to reach me, they can go to our website and hit us up at info at men in the arena.org. Awesome. Make sure to check out his book as well, guys. It's good stuff. And, uh, Jim, we really appreciate you being on the show and sharing with us today, man. Thanks, Josh. Have a great day, bro. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jim Ramos from Men in the Arena. He's a phenomenal man. We're grateful that he took the time to talk to us. And if you want to get his book, I'd highly encourage you to get it. It's an excellent book. Even if you don't believe in God, but you're interested in the things that he's talking about and you want to know how you can level up as a man, how you can live a life of honor, His book is going to be an excellent resource for you. So please, the link is in the show notes, so check it out. Also, men, if you want to grow and become a better man, don't forget to join us at the Manlyhood Man Cave on Facebook. We would love to have you there. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a like, a rating, a review, or share it with somebody that you care about so that we can help spread the news about what we're doing at Manlyhood to more men. I love you guys. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for Manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.